Hi guys, welcome to Crime All Day. Thank you for joining us today as we will be discussing the death of Kaylee Anthony. But before we get into this case, we wanted to mention that we will be discussing some heavier topics. So if that isn't suitable for you, we totally understand and we hope to see you guys in a future episode. We also wanted to mention that we're not trying to offend anyone mentioned or involved in this case. We are just providing information about this case. Alright, just wanted to mention that before we begin, but without the further ado, let's dive into today's case. Alright, so we're going to start with just like a few key people. So like Casey Anthony, Kaylee Anthony, when she was like born, and what kind of like led up to the disappearance, and then we'll get into everything following that. So the two key people in this case are Casey Anthony and Kaylee Anthony. So let's begin with Casey Anthony. So Casey was born on March 19th, 1986 to Cindy and George Anthony. Casey was described as a bright, personal young girl with friends. However, her friends would later say that a pattern of lying began when she was just in high school. An incident that happened was at her graduation where both Cindy, George, and Casey's grandparents had attended, but would later discover that she was short a few credits when she stopped attending classes towards the end of the school year. But she still led her family to believe that she would still walk with the graduating class. And then another incident that happened was when her parents suspected that she was pregnant. Um, her parents had noticed that like she'd put on some weight, but she would deny it, claiming that she was a virgin. Later on, months into the pregnancy, she would tell them the truth. Even with that, the identity of the baby's father was never known. It's still remains a mystery she pointed it to a couple of men including her fiance at the time jesse grund a young man that she had previously dated who died in a car crash so let's talk about casey's fiance at the time who we mentioned was jesse grund he acted as a father to kaylee after she was born for amount of time he believed that he might be her biological father but the timing of the conception kind of made it impossible so later through like a DNA test, he would find out that he wasn't her father. So as you can see, the identity of Kaylee's father still remains unknown. So that leads us to Kaylee Anthony, who was born on August 9th, 2005. And for most of her life, she lived with Casey and her grandparents, Cindy and George. So now that we know a little bit about Kaylee and Casey, let's talk about Kaylee's disappearance. So on July 15, 2008, Kaylee was reported missing by Cindy Anthony to the Orange County Sheriff's Office. This is when Cindy told the operator that she had been missing for 31 days. According to George Anthony, on June 16, 2008, Casey had left the family's home with Kaylee but hadn't returned for 31 days. During that 31 days, Casey's parents didn't see Kaylee. They repeatedly asked about where she was and apparently um, from what Casey said during that month Casey would claim that she was busy with a work assignment in Tampa Florida and other times Kaylee was with a nanny who she identified as Zanita Zanny Fernandez Gonzalez or at theme parks or beaches eventually George found that Casey's car had been at a tow yard and he went and recovered it um, it was noted that 
he and the carton had noticed a strong smell coming from the trunk and then both of them would later believe that the odor would be of a de decomposing body but when george opened the trunk he discovered it was just a bag of trash and now this is when cindy called and re reported kaylee missing and in the call she mentioned quote unquote there is something wrong i found my daughter's casey car and it smells like there's been a dead body in the damn car end quote so let's talk about the investigation which was led by detective yuri melik so this is when he found some discrepancies in casey's statement when questioned casey said that kaylee had been kidnapped by zaneda whom she identified as kaylee's nanny though mentioned by casey zanny never actually was seen by Casey's family or friends. Zaneda Fernandez Gonzalez was found but did and did exist, but no connection to the Anthony family. She had never met any of the members nor Casey's friends. So Casey said to the police that she was working at Universal Studios, and this is also a lie that she had been telling her parents for years. This is when investigators took Casey to Universal Studios on July 16, 2008, and asked her to show them her office. So she led detectives around the building for about 25 minutes before stopping and then jokingly admitted that she had no office there and that she'd been fired years before. So this is when it led to her first arrest on July 16, 2008. She was charged the following days, giving false statements to law enforcement, child neglect, and obstruction of a criminal investigation. This is when the judge denied bail, saying Casey had shown woeful disregard to the welfare of her child. And then later on July 22nd, after a bond hearing, the judge set bail at $500,000. Casey was released after being incarcerated for a month on August 21st, 2008. She had posted bond by the nephew of a California bail bondsman, Leonard Padilla, in hopes she would cooperate and Kaylee would be found. Padilla was disappointed when Casey failed to provide additional information, and he labeled her as a narcissist and promiscuous. So as searches intensified, Casey came under increasing scrutiny for the way she was acting. The days leading up to Kay Kaylee's missing persons report, Casey was apparently partying and early in early July, she had gotten a tattoo that read Belvita, which means beautiful life in Italian. On August 11th to the 13th, Roy Kronk called police about a suspicious object that he'd found in a forested area near the Anthony home. The first time he was instructed by the sheriff's office to call the tip line, which he did, and then the second time he called, he would eventually meet with two officers. He would report that he had seen what appeared to be a skull near a grape bag, and the officer conducted a short search and stated that he didn't see anything. So on December 11th, 2008, Kronk called the police again. They searched and found remains of a child in a trash bag. That is when investigative teams recovered duct tape, which was hanging from hair attached to the skull, and there had been some tissue left on the skull. Over the next few days, more bones were found in the wooded area near the spot where the remains were initially found. And then on December 19, 2008, medical examiner confirmed that the remains found were of those of Kaylee Anthony. So her death was ruled a homicide and the cause of death was listed as undetermined. All right, now that they found the remains, we're going to talk about the arrests and charges. So to start on July 29th, 2008, Casey was offered a limited immunity deal 
by prosecutors relating to the false statements given to law enforcement about locating her child, which was renewed on August 25th and to expire on August 28th. So she didn't take this offer and was released on September 5th, 2005 on bail for all pending charges after being fitted with the tracking device. The bond of $500,000 was posted by her parents, Sandy and George. But then on October 14th, 2008, Casey was indicted by a grand jury on charges of first-degree murder, aggravated child abuse, aggravated manslaughter of a child, and four counts of providing false information to police. Casey was then later arrested and held without bond. And on October 21st, 2008, the charges of child neglect were dropped. And then on October 28th, 2008, Casey was arraigned and pled not guilty to all charges. And on April 13th, 2009, prosecutors announced that they planned to seek death penalty. So let's get into the trial, starting with the evidence that was found. Through the whole case, they had presented 400 pieces of evidence. A strand of hair had been recovered from Casey's car, which was microscopically similar to hair taken from Kaylee's hairbrush. The strand showed root branding, which hair roots form a dark band around after death, which was consistent with the hair from the dead body. So Kronk, the guy who called the police multiple times, claiming that he found something suspicious near the Anthony residence, had repeatedly told the same basic story that he had told police. On October 24, 2008, a forensic report by Arpid Vass judged that results from an air sampling performed in the trunk of Casey's card showed chemical compounds consisting with a decompositional event. So investigators stated that the trunk had a smell strongly of human decomposition, but human decomposition was not specified on the laboratory scale, so the process was not affirmed in court, and Vass's group stated that there was also chloroform in the trunk. A year later, in October of 2009, officials released a 700-page document relating to Casey's investigation, including records that show Google searches of the terms neck-breaking and how to make chloroform on a computer accessible to Casey. So among photos entered into evidence, there was one from a computer of an ex-boyfriend of Casey's depicting a man leaning over a woman with a rag captioned, win her over with chloroform. A witness, which was a software developer for computer investigation, was used by the prosecution to indicate that Casey had conducted extensive searches on the word chloroform 84 times, and that suggested that Casey had planned to commit murder. But it would later be discovered that there had been a few flaws in the software. Misreading the forensic data, the word chloroform had been searched once, and that that website in question offered information on the use of chloroform. So let's talk about the attorneys and the jury. So the lead prosecutor in this case was Assistant State Attorney Linda Brain Burdick with Assistant State Attorneys Frank George and Jeff Ashton. Lead counsel for the defense was Jose Baez, a Florida criminal defense attorney. And during the trial, Mark Lipman represented Cindy and George Anthony. Jury selection began on May 9th, 2011 in Clearwater, Florida, since the case had been so widely reported in Orlando. So the jury selection took longer than expected, which ended on May 20th, 2011, with 12 jurors and five alternates being sworn in. The panel consisted of nine women and eight men. So let's begin with the opening statements. So the trial began on May 24th, 2011, at the Orange County Courthouse with Judge Belvin Perry presiding. 
In the opening statements, lead prosecutor Lena described the disappearance of Kaylee day by day. They alleged an intentional murder and sought the death penalty against Casey. They stated that Casey used chloroform to render her daughter unconscious before putting duct tape over her nose and mouth to suffocate her. Then left Kaylee's body in the trunk of her car for a few days before disposing of it. They characterized Casey as a party girl who killed her daughter to free herself from parental responsibility to enjoy her personal life. The defense, led by Jose Baez, claimed that in the opening statements that Kaylee drowned accidentally in the family's pool on June 16, 2008, and was found by George Anthony, who told Casey that she would spend the rest of her life in jail for child neglect and then proceeded to cover up her death. Baez argued that this is why Casey went on with her life and failed to report her for 31 days. He alleged that it was the habit of a lifetime for Casey to hide her pain and pretend nothing was wrong because she had been sexually abused by George since she was 8 years old. And Baez also questioned whether Roy, the one who found the bones, had actually removed them from another location and further alleged that the police department's investigation was compromised by their desire to feed a media frenzy about a child's murder rather than a more mundane drowning. He admitted that Casey had lied about there being a nanny named Zenaida Fernandez Gonzalez. Now let's move on to the witness testimonies. So George Anthony was the first witness called to the stand. In a response, he denied to having any sexual abusing of his daughter. He testified that he did not smell anything resembling human decomposition in Casey's car when she visited him on June 24th. But he did smell something similar to human decomposition when he picked up the car on July 15th. Cindy then testified that her comment to the operator that Casey's card smelled like, quote, like someone died, end quote, was just a figure of speech. Seems a little odd that someone would say that, something like that. But um, then Baez asked an FBI agent about the paternity test conducted to see if Lee Anthony, Casey's brother, was Kaylee's father. She told the jury the test had come back negative. Ricardo Morales, which was... Casey's ex-boyfriend testified that the photo was on his MySpace page and that he had never discussed chloroform with Casey or searched for chloroform on her computer. The prosecutor then called John Dennis Bradley, a former Canadian law enforcement officer who developed the, um, the software for a computer investigation to analyze a data file from the desk taken from the Anthony home. He said that he was able to use the program to recover deleted searches and that he had expressed his belief that some of these items might have been bookmarked but under cross-examination bradley agreed that there were two individual accounts on the desktop and that there were no way to know who performed what searches and then they also called up a dog handler a german shepherd cadaver dog indicated a high alert of human decomposition in the trunk of casey's car saying that police the police dog has had real-world searches numbering over 3,000 by now. But during cross-examination, Baez argued that the dog's searches were records were hearsay. So Sergeant Kristen Brewer also testified. Her police dog signaled decomposition in the backyard during a search in July of 2008. However, neither police dog were able to detect decomposition during a second visit to the Anthony home. Um, explaining that this was because whether whatever had been in the yard either moved or the odor dissipated. The prosecutor called chief medical examiner up to the stand. She testified that she determined Kaylee's manner of death to be homicide, but had listed it as 
quote, death by undetermined means, end quote. She took into account the physical evidence present on the remains she examined, as well as the information available by the way that like, they were found. So she said, we know by our observations that it is a red flag when a child has not been reported to authorities with injury, there's foul play. She also addressed the chloroform evidence found by the investigators in the side of the trunk of the car that even a small amount would be sufficient to cause the death of a child. So the prosecutors then brought in a University of Florida professor and human identification laboratory director, Michael Warren. He presented a computer animation of the way duct tape could have been used in the death of the child, which the defense objected to hearing. After a short recess to review, Judge Perry ruled that that video could be shown in the jury to the jury. So the animation featured a picture of Kaylee taken alongside Casey um, with an image of Kaylee's decomposed skull and another with the strip of duct tape that was recovered with her remains. The image were slowly brought together showing that the duct tape could have covered her nose and mouth. Um, this is when Bias stated this quote, this is disgusting. Superimposition is nothing more than a fantasy. They were throwing things against the wall and seeing if it sticks, end quote. Warren then testified that, in his opinion, the duct tape that was found on Kaylee's skull was placed before her body began decomposing. This is when FBI examiner Elizabeth Fontaine testified that adhesive in a heart shape was found on the corner of a piece of duct tape that was covering the mouth portion of Kaylee's remains during ultraviolet testing. She examined three pieces of duct tape found on Kaylee's remains for fingerprints, but didn't find any and didn't expect to given that the tape had been exposed to the outdoors and exposed to the elements saying that any oils or sweats from a person's fingertips would have long since deteriorated and then two government witnesses were also called by the defense who countered the prosecution about the duct tape the chief investigator for the exam medical examiner stated that the original placement of the duct tape was unclear and it could have shifted position as he collected the remains. Cindy testified that they had buried their pets in blankets and plastic bags using duct tape to seal the opening. An FBI forensic document examiner had found no evidence of a sticker or sticker residue on the duct tape. This is when the defense then called another forensic pathologist who performed a second autopsy on Kaylee after the first initial when he called her autopsy quote-unquote shoddy saying that it was a fail failure that kaylee's skull was not open during the examination he said that quote you need to examine the whole body in an autopsy end quote stating that he wasn't allowed to attend the first initial autopsy on her remains and that from his own examination he could not he was not comfortable ruling it a homicide he said that he couldn't determine the manner of the death and that there was no indication that she was murdered. He also testified that he believed the duct tape was placed after the body decomposed and that if the tape was placed on the skin, there should have been DNA left on it and suggested that someone may have staged some of the crime scene photos and that, quote, the person who took this photo, the person who prepared this, put the hair there, end quote. This is when... Um, Bradley would testify later on on June 21st, discovering that mentioned earlier there was flaws in his software, which misread the forensic data, and that the word chloroform had only been searched one time, and that the website in question offered information to 
on the use of chloroform in the 19th century. So on June 23rd, Baez would call Cindy to the stand and she told jurors that she had been the one who performed the chloroform search on the family computer. However, the prosecutors alleged that only Casey would have been the one to conduct this search because she was the only one at home at the time. When asked by prosecutors how she could have made the internet searches when, she, when her employment records show that she was at work, Cindy said that despite the timesheets, she was home during those time periods because she had left early that day. The trial was temporarily halted as the defense filed a motion to determine Casey was competent to proceed with trial. The motion stated that the defense received a privileged communication from their client which caused them to believe that, quote, Miss Anthony is not competent to aid and assist in her own defense, end quote. So after the motion, the trial resumed on June 27th and this is when the judge announced that the results of the psychological evaluations showed Casey was competent to proceed. After prosecutors stated that they discussed Bradley's software discrepancy with Baez, he raised the issue in court testimony. Baez asked Judge Perry to instruct the jury about the search information, but prosecutors disputed this and it was not done. So, on the same day, the defense called in two private investigators who had searched the area in November 2008 and found nothing. They then called Roy, who recounted the same story he told to police. So then on June 30th and July 1st, the prosecutor presented rebuttal arguments beginning by showing the jury photographs of Kaylee's clothes and George's suicide note. It called two representatives of Cindy's former employer who explained why their computer login system shows Cindy was at work that afternoon when she said she went home early and searched her computer for information about chloroform. A police computer analyst also testified someone had purposely searched online for neck and breaking. Another analyst testified that she had not found evidence that Cindy had searched certain terms she claimed to have searched. Anthropology professor Dr. Michael Warren from the University of Florida recalled to rebut a defense witness on the need to open a skull during an autopsy. The lead detective stated that there were no phone calls between Cindy and George during the week of June 16, 2008. He told the defense he did not know that George had a second phone. Let's get into the closing arguments and then we'll move on to the verdict and sentencing. So, closing arguments began on July 3rd and 4th. Jeff Ashton for the prosecution told the jury, quote, When you have a child, that child becomes your life. In this case, this case is about the clash between responsibility and the expectations that go with it, and the life that Casey Anthony wanted to have, end quote. He outlined the state's case against Casey, touching on her many lies to her parents and others. The smell in the trunk, identified by several witnesses as the odor of human decomposition, and the items found with Kaylee's remain. He emphasized that Casey, quote, maintained her lies until they absolutely could not be maintained anymore end quote and then replaces them with another lie using zanny the nanny as an example casey repeatedly told police that kaylee was with zanny that she specifically identified as zanita fernandez gonzalez police were never able to find the nanny but did find a woman named zanita fernandez gonzalez but she denied ever meeting the anthony's he reintroduced the items found with kaylee's remains including a Winnie the Pooh blanket that matched bedding at the Anthony's home, one set of laundry bags with the twin bag found at the Anthony's home, and duct tape he said was a relatively rare brand. 
He said, quote, that bag is Kaylee's coffin, he said, holding a photograph of the laundry bag as Casey reacted with emotion. He further criticized the defense theory that Kaylee drowned in the Anthony pool and that Casey and George covered up the death out of fear and panic. He advised jurors to use common sense when deciding the verdict, saying no one makes an accident look like murder. Before closing arguments, Judge Perry told the defense that they could argue that a drowning occurred due to reasonable conclusions aided by witness testimonies, but that arguing sexual abuse was not allowed since there was nothing to support that claim that George sexually abused Casey. So, Baez began by contending that there were holes in the prosecution's forensic evidence, saying that it was based on a, quote, fantasy. He told the jury that the prosecution wanted them to see stains and insects that did not exist, that they had not proven that the stains in Casey's car were caused by Kaylee's decomposing body rather than the trash bag found near. He added that the prosecutors tried to make his client look like a promiscuous liar because their evidence was weak. He said that the drowning is the quote-unquote only explanation that makes sense and showed jurors a photo of Kaylee opening the home's sliding door by herself. He stressed that there was no child safety locks on in the home and that both Casey's parents, Cindy and George, testified that Kaylee could get out of the house easily. Although Cindy testified that Kaylee could not put the ladder on the side of the pool and climb up, Baez alleged that Cindy might have left the ladder up the night before, saying that she didn't admit to doing so in testimony, but how much guilt would she have knowing that it was her that left the ladder up that day, Baez said. He told Juror his biggest fear was that they would use they would base their verdict on emotions instead of evidence. However, the strategy behind that is if you hate her, if you think she's lying, no good slut, then you'll start to look at the evidence in a different light. I told you at the very beginning of this case that this was an accident that snowballed out of control. What made it unique is not what happened, but who it happened to. He explained that Casey's behavior was being the result of a dysfunctional family situation. This is when a defense attorney, Cheney Mason, then followed with an additional closing argument, addressing the jurors to discuss the charges against Casey, saying, The burden rests on the shoulder of my colleagues at the state attorney's office. Mason said, referring to proving Casey's committing a crime. And then the jury is required, whether they like it or not, to find the defendant not guilty if the state did not adequately prove its case against Casey. He emphasized that the burden of proof is on the state and that Casey's decision not to testify is not an implication of guilt. This is when lead prosecutor Linda rebuttaled, told jurors that she and her colleagues backed up every claim they made with their opening statements and implied that the defense never directly backed up their own opening statements claim and said that her biggest fear is that common sense will be lost in all the rhetoric of the of the case, um, insisting that she would never ask the jury to make their decisions based on emotion, but rather evidence. She suggested that the garbage bag in the trunk was used as a decoy to keep people from getting suspicious about the smell of the car when she left it abandoned in a parking lot. She asked, quote-unquote, whose life is better without Kaylee, stressing how George and Cindy were wondering where their granddaughter and daughter were for 31 days, the same time Casey was staying with her boyfriend while Kaylee's body was decomposing in the woods, saying, that's the only question you need to answer in considering why Kaylee Marie Anthony was left on the side of the road dead. She then showed this, uh, the jury a split screen with a photo of Casey parting at a nightclub on the side, 
and a close-up of the Belvedo tattoo that she got weeks after Kaylee died on the other. The jury began deliberating on July 4th and 5th, and prosecutors stated that during deliberations, they were about to give the jury the corrected information with regard to Bradley's software discrepancy. However, the jury reached a verdict before they could do so. So, let's get into the verdict and sentencing. So, on July 5th, 2011, the jury found Casey not guilty of counts 1 through 3 regarding first-degree murder, aggravated manslaughter of a child, and aggravated child abuse, while they found her guilty on counts 4 through 7, which were for providing false information to law enforcement. So, count number 4 was Casey said that she was employed at Universal Studios during 2008, um, to the investigators of a missing person report. Count five was Casey said she left Kaylee at the apartment complex with a babysitter, causing law enforcement to pursue the missing babysitter. Count six was she informed the two employees um, of Universal Studios, Jeff Hopkins and Juliet Lewis, at Universal of the disappearance of Kaylee. Um, these two people did not exist. And then count number seven, when she said she had received a phone call and spoke to Kaylee on July 15th, 2008 causing law enforcement to expend further resources so on july 7th 2011 sentencing arguments began so the defense asked for the sentencing to be based on one count of lying on the grounds that the offenses occurred as part of a single interview with police dealing with the same matter the disappearance of her daughter as one continuous lie they also argued for concurrent sentencing for all four counts to become one count and that the sentence to run together as one. However, Judge Perry disagreed with the argument finding that Casey's statements consisted of four distinct separate lies, ordering the sentence to be served consecutively, noting that law enforcement expended a great deal of time, energy, and manpower looking for Kaylee. The search went on from July to December over several months trying to find Kaylee. So Judge Perry sentenced Casey to a one year in county jail and $1,000 in fines for each of the four counts of providing false information to a law enforcement officer, which was the maximum penalty prescribed by law. So Casey received 1,043 days credit for served time plus additional credit for good behavior, resulting in her being released on July 17th, 2011. In September of 2011, Judge Perry ruled that Casey must pay $217,000 to the state of Florida, ruling that she had to pay these costs directly related to the law enforcement about the death of Kaylee, including search costs up to September 30th when the sheriff's office stopped investigating a missing child case. But then later in January of 2013, Casey's conviction would was reduced from four counts to two counts. So her attorney argued that there, her false statements constituted a single offense. However, the appeal court noted that she gave false information during two separate police interviews several hours apart. So as you may know, this case got a lot of media coverage um, and it got talked on many TV shows and the trial also got a lot of coverage. Hundreds were outside the courtroom as they waited awaited the verdict now that we know what happened in the case the evidence everything the verdict the sentencing we're gonna talk about like the aftermath because a lot of things happened after this case so in september of 2008 zanita gonzalez sued casey for defamation so during the investigation when casey told that kaylee was left with 
a babysitter named Zaneda Fernandez Gonzalez, also known as Zanny. Zaneda Gonzalez, who was listed at, on apartment records on as visiting the apartment, she was questioned by police, but stated that she didn't know who Casey or Kaylee were or any of the Anthony family. So her defamation suit sought damages, alleging that Casey willfully damaged her reputation. Gonzalez reported told reporters that she lost her job, was evicted from her home, and received death threats against her and her children as a re result of Casey's lies. Something else that came out of this trial was the Kaylee's Law, which is like a new law that um, they created, which would impose stricter requirements on parents to notify law enforcement of the death or disappearance of a child. The law would make it a felony if a parent or legal guardian fails to report a missing child in a timely manner if they could have known the child would be endangered so at the end of the day they did get something good that happened from this horrible situation but that will be the end of today's episode but before we go we just wanted to mention and wanted to tell you guys that if you'd like to leave some feedback for us feel free to click on the link labeled feedback form in the episode description or in the show notes this link will be in every single episode so if you want to, you can click that link. If you don't want to use the link, you can always email us at crimealldaypodcast at gmail.com. Again, that is crimealldaypodcast at gmail.com. Um, also, if you'd like to hear any cases, any specific ones that you are interested in, you can use the case request form also linked in every single episode description, and we'll try our best to go through them and make them happen. This is just a way for you as the listener to kind of get involved involved in our podcast. Once again, you can check those links out as well as checking out our Instagram where you can get a little snippet before we release a new episode every week. It is at Crime All Day Podcast. Again, that is Crime All Day Podcast. As well as make sure to subscribe to our podcast. And if you would like if you enjoy our podcast, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify, I think as well. That would really help us out and we'd appreciate any support that we get. And give us your thoughts and opinions on this case. What do you think? Do you think Kate is innocent, guilty? What are your thoughts? We'd like to hear them. You can just always drop by our Instagram and leave a comment there or DM us or email us. Give us your thoughts. We always love hearing you guys' opinions. And that being said, we will be back next week with a new case to share with you all. Until then, take care, stay safe, and we'll see you in another episode.